five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, second day in a row with this whole mailbag thing. How you feeling about it? Uh, I love the mailbag, uh, the, uh, the the Newman episodes, or the Cliff Clavin episodes. That's probably too, I guess, Cheers references are probably too too old for our crowd, but uh, I'll stick with Newman. Hey. The Newman episodes. I, you know what? I, I like doing this kind of stuff because it's, I mean, yeah. it's easy, man. Um, you know, I'm very like, okay, what what are people going to want to hear? you know and and when they are asking their questions hey this is stuff that you know the listeners want to hear so i enjoy it um kind of glad that we're doing this two days in a row uh i just decided to replace the first and 10 this morning i'm like do i really want to wake up and you know put out a a first and 10 and then turn around and do a another one of these with you uh, on the same day i feel like just putting out the mailbag will be plenty enough for people you know we got some some you know what you know granted we got a lot of great questions yesterday. I think all of them were fantastic. And today, every bit as much, you know, you would think that I did all the good one, good ones yesterday. And today's going to be, you know, all the leftovers. Really, it was just split. I just wrote them all down or, or typed them all out or whatever, and just went down the list. So plenty of great stuff to talk about. So we'll go ahead and dive right in because who, who knows, but the way we like to talk, this could be an <laughs> hour long podcast, <laughs> but which is totally fine. Um, you know, I don't mind it and I hope, you know, the listeners don't mind it. And I'm sure you don't either, but, um, Bobby Stewart on Twitter, he made a comment. It wasn't necessarily a question, but it's just something that I wanted to get both of our reaction to, because that's kind of the point. You don't have to ask a question necessarily. You can give one of your thoughts and we can share your thoughts with, with everybody else that's listening in, and then we can react to it and, and, you know, agree, disagree, whatever. So Bobby Stewart on Twitter said, I think with all of the talented players Alabama lost from last year, the loss that is making the most impact other than Mac Jones, is Najee. The way he could run the ball and catch and run is deeply missed. So react to that, Jimmy. Uh, I I mean, if, if I say I disagree, that makes it sound sound like uh, that, that that I don't agree with Bobby's opinion. I, I, I agree with this. We don't have a Najee. Brian's done a really good job, particularly the last two weeks. He's the third leading rusher in the SEC right now. Um, I would say that the starting running back at Alabama is an asset, uh, not a liability. So in that sense, you know, I would pick someone else just simply because the new guy is an asset. Is he Najee? No. And he's not going to be Najee. He's just, he's just a different kid. Um, off the top of my head, Clint, this might surprise you, but my, my gut reaction on who is the guy we have not been able to replace uh, is Landon Dickerson. Boom. And, and I say that for two reasons. Uh, we, we're not nearly as good at center as we were, so we've backed up. And I'm not 100% sure that even the center or even the interior of, of Alabama's offensive line is an asset at all. It may be a liability in terms of what, what we're trying to get done on offense. And then throw in the fact Landon was also as good of a leader as we, we've ever had on the offense. And, and we, we are missing some leadership, uh, even from that group. So I think Landon is the guy we, we, we I, w- I would love to have back or – uh, I wish we had fully replaced. That means with, with a center or an, any interior lineman that's just as good, that's just the leader Landon was. We 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 don't have that. So 
even though we lost other first round talents like Devonte and Jalen and Mac and, and Alice Leatherwood. Um, and, and of course, Najee, uh, I think the biggest loss in terms of what we've not been able to replace on the team is, uh, is Landon Dickerson. You nailed it, man. You absolutely nailed it. And, and, and I understand where Bobby's coming from. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think that, you know, I, I think from a leadership standpoint, and I'm sure, you know, I know Brian Robinson is a leader as well, and he's kind of a, a physical tone setter. Uh, and I think that that's very helpful. Very helpful. He, he runs extremely hard, but, um, you know, Najee provided his own, you know, style. He could do a lot of different things. He kind of, you know, he would bring energy to the offense when he do that hurdling thing. And I know that Nick Saban's probably glad that the running backs at Alabama are no, are no longer doing that um, because as, as exciting as it can be, it can also be dangerous. And so, um, you know, but, but you nailed it with Landon Dickerson. That's the one f- from an offensive standpoint that I would think is making the biggest difference right now, not having it. And Darian Dalcourt's been fine. You know, he, he's had some downs, don't get me wrong, but he's had a lot of ups as well. This is not really a criticism towards him. Uh, it's just that Landon Dickerson, I mean, he was an, a nasty player, man. He, he, and you want that from your offensive line. He was consistent with his snaps. He brought some versatility. He was a good guard. When he played guard, he was a good, a fantastic center. I, I remember thinking uh, prior to last season, uh, I thought maybe he would move back to guard because I thought he was better at guard. And he continued to show development and, and become an even better center. And, and so, you know, just props to him and what he was able to achieve in his just couple of seasons at Alabama. But, you know, his ability to communicate with the offensive line as well was was crucial. You know, and if you're going to be a center, you need to be able to identify, you know, blitzes and, and be able to communicate effectively with the guys around you. And I don't know how much Darian Dowcourt can or can't do that. I know he's been put in, in much tougher situations going to Gainesville and to College Station um, with full capacity stadiums compared to Landon Dickerson, who in his final season didn't have to deal with that. Um, and then maybe that makes a difference. I, I mean, I'm sure it makes a difference, but maybe that is, a, you know, a, a huge reason why it looks so stark, you know, the difference between the two. But the bottom line is Landon Dickerson's the correct answer here. And, and you know, some people, I mean, I would probably say the next one would be a Devontae Smith uh, or a Jalen Waddle, either one of those two guys, just because they don't have that true number one receiver. Um, that would certainly help the offense as well. So, uh, as much as, you know, I think Najee is a fine answer, I think it's either Landon Dickerson or Devontae Smith. Next on the list, speaking of receivers and Devontae, uh, did JoJo have any catch? And this is from Chris Bryan on Twitter. I always want to give credit where, where credit's due. Uh, did JoJo have any catches besides that awful screen pass? Who's the third receiver? Well, uh, also, he did. I think JoJo Earl had one uh, had a 19-yard uh, reception in the game uh, off the top of my head. I believe he did have one catch for 19 yards. Uh, I, I believe that's right. Uh, I think you're looking at the stats, but I, I think JoJo did have one catch, but he, he is not the third receiver just in terms of there just hasn't been any production there, whether it's a lack of targets, whether it's a lack of snaps. Uh, he's behind in the wide receiver core. Uh, he's well behind Slade Bolden. Uh, in receptions. Look, look, Mechie's fifth in the league in receptions. I mean, it's not like Mechie doesn't get a lot of targets. He's fifth in, in the entire SEC. Jameson Williams is ranked around that spot in, in yardage. He might even be third or fourth in the SEC in total yardage for a receiver. But th- this might surprise, you know, in terms of who is Alabama's third receiver, it's really Jaleel Billingsley. I mean, to me, Billingsley is, is the number three receiver. I know he plays tight end, but look, you know, 
all those guys are eligible receivers. And if we're lining up our best skill position players so far this year, and we're like, you know, if it didn't matter whether we're using two backs, one back, three wides, four wides, I'm talking about our best skill position players, I would line up, of course, of course, Bryce at quarterback, Brian at running back, Mechie and Jamison Williams at wide receiver. And I would say it would be Jaleel Billingsley and Cam Latou at, at tight end. I, I think that what we'd call 12 personnel, one back and two tight ends, uh, that's our best personnel group. And in that sense, uh, Jaleel Billingsley is the third best receiver on the field. Uh, in that starting lineup, he's the third best receiver, period, on the team behind Jamison and Mechie. And in fact, throw in the fact that he's a tight end and everywhere he lines up is a mismatch. Maybe by the end of this year, Clint, maybe, uh, maybe you know, 25 podcasts from now, we're saying we're saying that that, that wide receiver one is Jaleel. Uh, because again, everywhere Jaleel lines up is a mismatch. If he lines up at Y and he's covered by a linebacker, he's faster than that guy. If he lines up in the slot and he's covered by a defensive back, he's bigger than that guy. Jaleel is going to be a, a, a mismatch for anyone. And frankly, I'm, you know, not not that this is going to be pick on Jaleel, the pick on Jaleel show. Uh, he's got to take some responsibility for, for the other night. He didn't play well. That wasn't his best game. He's just getting out of the doghouse and then not playing well in this game. There were drops. And and frankly, you know, we say Mechie and Jamison don't always achieve separation. Billingsley can, depending on who's covering him. He can't. And uh, Billingsley has to become a more dependable hey, we need you to help us win this game kind of a guy, not just an ornament on the tree. He needs to be the tree, you know, because I mean, he can be that guy. Jaleel can be the reason we beat Georgia or the reason we beat Auburn. Uh, and, and he needs to become that kind of guy because I know he's got his eye on the NFL. He would like to be a three and done going to the draft this April. And, yeah, the NFL will draft you on your potential, but it would sure be nice if we did – if we saw something from him other than potential and he, him, him be one of the reasons that we win the games uh, and, and, you know, it's in him and, uh, and we need it to come out. We need to come out soon. I don't want him just to run off to the NFL in April and us going, you know, what's weird. Billingsley never had a 150 yard, three touchdown game. You go on the road to Gainesville. You, you go on the road to college station, um, a, a talent, like Jaleel Billingsley, should never, between those two games combined, have one catch for 29 yards, and it was a touchdown. It was a great touchdown against Florida. Wasn't, you know, able to pull, you know, he didn't have a lot of targets after that. He wasn't really utilized after that, and I understand he was still climbing his way out of the doghouse at that point. That was kind of one of those moments where it's like, okay, they're starting to get him more involved. He's now had a big, you know, crucial touchdown catch um, against a good team on the road but then not having a single catch against Texas A&M, that being your only catch against Florida, you know, what you do against Southern Miss and, and Mercer and even Miami, you know, which he, I understand he wasn't really playing against Miami, but those types of teams, um, that's great. But in those big moments, you want your big players to step up and shine. And against Texas A&M, which should have been one of those big moments, I understand they weren't ranked, but they didn't have to be. Everybody knew they were a good team uh, to some degree. And I think we underestimated them, but, you know, I think everybody knew they were still a good football team and you're going on the road. Um, you know, that, that, those are the kind of moments where you need your, your top guys to step up. And Jamison Williams certainly did, you know, Brian Robinson certainly did. 
you know, John Mechie really didn't. Uh, he had some catches, don't get me wrong. Uh, he, I think he had close to 100 yards receiving, but he had several key drops as well. But Billingsley was non-existent. I mean, he existed, but only to drop, to drop passes. Um, that's pretty much his only role in the offensive game plan um, on Saturday. And so they need more from him. But I agree with you that, you know, he is the third option at, re- at receiver. And I would almost, you know, say it, that's a sure thing if you start referring to him as pass catchers and not necessarily receivers. But he lines up at receiver enough where you can say, yeah, I mean, really, he's the third receiver. Because Cameron Latou is getting a lot of the inline duties, and he's being asked to right. block a lot. They, you know, uh, they'll line Billingsley up as a big slot. They'll line him up as a perimeter receiver at times. They'll put him as a move tight end, kind of an H back. Um, so they, they, you know, utilize him in a lot of different ways and put him kind of all over the field just to create mismatch mismatches. Going to do that. Utilize the mismatch uh, that's been given to you. Um, so, and and you know, going back to Chris's question about JoJo Earl. I've continued to reiterate. That's one of the one guys that I would say, we just need to figure out a way, you know, if you're Alabama, we need to figure out a way to get him more involved in the offensive game plan and force it to happen. Yeah. Force it to happen. Yeah. And and then I don't think that's, you know, some guys it's a, it's a matter of them being divas and demanding the football and coaching staffs, you know, keep them happy. Say, Hey, we got to figure out a way to get the ball in their hands. That's not JoJo from everything that I know about him. You know, he's not out here demanding it like some some diva receiver or something. But from a fan's perspective and for somebody that covers the team, you know, get him more involved. Let's just see what happens when you do. Um, you know, outside of the occasional catch here and there, why don't you feed him for a game? You know, they, they did that against Mercer, I think, is the game that he actually had, you know, quite a bit of usage yeah. and, and was very right. effective. And and I don't – the coaching staff knows more than me. They see him in practice. They – Maybe there's something that I'm missing with this whole situation, but that's one of the key players that I say he needs to be more involved. They need to figure out a way to get him more involved. Uh, Mikey B-Ball on Twitter asked, the Tide secondary, should they be performing better or are we overrating them? I don't think the D is Georgia good, but I think it should be better. Yeah, uh, I that's a good question. Uh, you know, are, are, are we overrating them? You know, first of all, the secondary, you know, you're really talking about six guys. We have six first team guys, two corners, two safeties, a star and nickel and, and money and dime. So you're talking about six guys. It, it would be probably unfair to lump them all into one group and just, you know, have one blanket word to describe all six because they're all such different kids having different seasons. First of all, I would say both corners have been really good. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say first team all SEC good, but both corners I think have played fine. And I'm talking about Josh Job and Jalen Arbor Davis. They, 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 they have not been beaten much. I don't even recall them getting beat uh, to the point that it helped us lose the game against AM. and uh, Now they're sticky guys, meaning to me, they just sort of cover their guys and the quarterback just doesn't throw at them. They don't get many uh, opportunities in the game because they've got their guy covered so well. Job's obviously had some some uh, pass interference calls, uh, and that's fine. Those aren't you know those are better than giving up touchdown passes. But uh, I, I think both Job and Jalen Armour Davis uh, have played fine. Uh, I would be uh, fine if somebody said Job hasn't played up to expectations because he hasn't been a playmaker. Uh, he hasn't picked off balls or pick sixes, or you know he's not Trevon Diggs out there. Uh, but I, I think Job and, 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 and Jalen Armour Davis have been fine. I think the question marks are really the other four inside spots. 
uh, the two safeties, Star and Money. I'm not sure that we're getting the performance out of those guys uh, that we expected. Uh, on the other hand, Jordan Battle sort of is what he is. He's a really smart guy. He helps get us lined up. I think he's more valuable. I think the coaches like him almost more than the fans, if that makes sense, because he he, he doesn't bust a lot. He sort of gets everybody lined up. He He's sort of the coach out there, knows what to do. He's just not uh, – extraordinarily blessed he's not first round blessed he's not he's not a 4-4 guy he he doesn't have what I would call elite traits he's just a good smart player and uh I think he's okay he's just never going to perform uh you know people are expecting ha ha or Landon Collins they're just going to be disappointed that's not who, who Jordan Battle is uh the other safety spot uh, I'm I'll be more critical of, uh, you know, I, I don't think Helms had a good year. He didn't have a good game against a and I, I, I don't think that Helms has done a lot uh, in, in the playmaking department or helping us win. He did have an interception the other night when Calzada threw a ball right at him. Uh, he, he did, uh, you know, he, I, 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 I don't know that we have a better option, but I, I agree that the other safety spot hasn't been an asset. And uh, we've split the star snaps. Uh, Malachi's played a huge chunk of them. He, of course, got ejected in, you know, the first series the other night, and Branch had to play the whole game there. Uh, Branch has played quite a bit uh, at star anyway. Uh, now, they're better players than, uh, than the two safeties. They're better players. They're more playmakers. But I would say to this point in the season, neither Malachi nor Branch have played in an all-star level. They've been okay. Branch did get beat by Nia Smith for a touchdown um, Saturday. Um, and then the money spot, really what happens there is, is you know, they, they kind of move that spot around. Sometimes it can be Helm, sometimes it can be Branch. But usually when we're in money, it's Branch. So there's a lot on Brian Branch. He actually, in, in most games, plays some snaps at star, some snaps at money. So he's moving around and, and he's fine. But I, I agree, we need to be better in the middle of the field in those safety type spots. The corners have played okay, but no one is playing at an all SEC level. And I'm not sure, maybe preseason, Clint, you might agree or disagree. In the preseason, I would have hoped we would see an all SEC season from Job, Malachi, and Battle. I but it would have been a hope. It wouldn't have been a Hey, I'll go bet my twenty bucks on it happening. I, I would have hoped those three could have performed at an all SEC level, and it hadn't happened. Here's the thing: um, I, I pretty much agree with everything that you just said. By the way, um, Job seventeen penalties since the start of the 2020 season. That is an absurd amount of penalties. You know, holding defensive pass interferences. Um, you can't, uh, at some, at some point, you know, I remember with, with Marlon Humphrey back when he was at Alabama, he's emerged as one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. His issue at Alabama was he did everything at an elite level until the, the football got to the receiver. And it just seemed like he couldn't, you know, outdo or, or, you know, battle contested catches enough to be able to keep the receiver from doing it. We saw that, you know, even in the national championship game with Mike Williams and, you know, it, it's just, it was a huge issue for him. He got that figured out with Josh Job. It's a little bit different. He does a lot of things extremely well, except for he, when he gets targeted at least once or twice in the game, he loses his composure and he, and he ends up committing a penalty that he shouldn't. He doesn't get his head around. He, you know, gets there early. 
he panics. It, it feels like he panics. He's got to work on that and stay more under control and be more disciplined uh, because those penalties, man, that they'll, they'll kill you. You know, you finally get a stop against one of these good offenses. He commits a penalty like that. And now they're, they're keep going, uh, keep trucking along and they end up scoring a touchdown. Um, you know, I, it, it's interesting because the secondary, what I thought was going to make Alabama's defense elite this year was the combination of the pass rush. You know, you were getting Christopher Allen back. Great complimentary pass rusher for Will Anderson Jr. You had Will Anderson, who was a, an absolute terror last year, and you just think, I mean, he's going to keep getting better. So I thought the exterior pressure was going to be fantastic. I thought that they had enough options from an interior perspective to get a complimentary interior pass rush, which they have. But Darian Mathis has certainly provided that. Um, but I thought that combination with Alabama having guys like Malachi Moore and Brian Branch. And I thought, you know, with Joe, I thought he would be a, much more of a, a lockdown corner. And I didn't think he would get targeted a ton. So I thought, okay, you're looking at Jalen Armour Davis, who's kind of a, just a steady guy. I wouldn't say he's a playmaking talent necessarily, but I thought by this point in the season, you'd be seeing a lot more Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I didn't think he was going to be overtaking uh, Jalen Armour Davis really. And, and, you know, supplanting him as the starter. I just thought he would be involved in, in the rotation a little bit more than he is. And he's another playmaking talent on the back half of your defense. So I thought when you combine their pass rush and being able to put pressure on the quarterback consistently with a, you know, uh, a secondary that's very advantageous and, and knows how to create turnovers, I thought that, man, that was just, you were going to see these game changing types of turnovers on a week in, week out basis. You just haven't really seen that. You've seen some interceptions, but it's more so been you know poor decisions by the quarterback the pass rush has been great at times will anderson has been great at times but then it's disappeared at times as well it just hadn't been the combination that i thought it was going to and you know right now the way that i kind of, I kind of view the the secondary based off of what we've seen it's just a bunch of steady guys you know i, I don't think there's anybody that's really standing out right now as that's just a dangerous option if you're you know who's the guy in alabama's secondary if you're an opposing quarterback if you're zach calzada on saturday who were you looking at in Alabama secondary and saying, we need to avoid that guy. We, 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 we do not need to target that guy whatsoever. And, you know, you've had that in the past. I mean, do, do you right. view Jimmy, do you view anybody uh, in Alabama nope. secondary as that guy that you want to try to avoid? It's a, it's a great question. And my answer, my answer is no, there, there's no one that you would need to avoid like in the past uh, when we've had, you know, at least one, you know, all conference or all American type player there, there is, there isn't one, but I will say statistically Job and Jalen Armour Davis have not given up many catches to their guys. So statistically uh, Job, you know, 28 and five Jalen Armour Davis have played uh, really well. They just haven't given up plays uh, that have hurt us. But at the same time, when we describe them, uh, we're not describing them as, lockdown first round corners I, I'm going to be really Job's obviously coming out he'd, ha, he'd have a year of eligibility if he, if he wanted to return but he's not he, he's going to go he's going to enter the draft I, I'm going to be real curious as to what the NFL thinks about him uh, because he will test well in Indianapolis because he's long he's big for a corner he's still going to run in the 4-4 low 4-5 range I mean he's going to run well and be quick and look like a million bucks standing there because he's a pretty built kid, you know, for a corner. Uh, but then you watch the game tape and, and they're probably like, you know, you know what they're going to say? They're going to be like, here's a kid with some first round traits who doesn't have first round film. And I, I think that's what they're going to say about, about Joe. 
but no, you're right. There's no one that the opposing quarterback is told in meetings, stay away from 28. Don't throw at 28. You know, you're crazy to throw at 28. I don't think our the quarterbacks we play hear things like that in their meetings. They probably hear, you know, I won't name the numbers, but they probably hear like, we can beat this guy. We, you know, we can beat this safety. We can beat this guy. We can beat him. I don't think that, that they say things like stay away from, from 28 or stay away from five. I mean, honestly, uh, this is one of those groups of cornerbacks where, you know, I do think that they're good, um, but I'll continue to read her. I think they're just steady. You know, uh, it's in some ways, you know, I'll be curious to see what ends up happening with Josh Job and, and Jalen Armour Davis. You know, do they end up returning? I think that they do, or excuse me, at least Jalen Armour Davis. And to some degree, I think that Josh Job leaves. I think that he needs to, you know, I mean, what's the wow factor with him? You know, if you're not going to be a big playmaking corner, then, you know, NFL teams, if you're going to go high, they need to view you as a guy that, hey, well, if, yeah, we're willing to spend a first-round pick on this guy because we know that when NFL quarterbacks approach the line of scrimmage, they're looking at him and saying, we don't need to target him. Um, that, that's, a dangerous, that's a dangerous fit uh, for us. When, when you're viewed that way, sure. Um, you know, you can be a guy that doesn't have a, a lot of production from an interception standpoint or, a, you know, pass defended or whatever. I just don't really see Job as that guy right now. I just see him as a very steady corner. He's a good corner. Um, you know, I, and if let's say hypothetically say Alabama loses both Jalen Armour Davis and Josh Job, not saying that's going to happen by any means, but if they do, you know, there's a part of me, Marcus Banks kind of, when I've watched him, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Anthony Averett, uh, who's now doing great things for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I yeah, I mean, you know, they got Marlon Humphrey who's doing great things, and Anthony, Anthony Averett, has he been perfect? No. In fact, I, I don't think he had a great game against the Colts um, the other night, but he's been a, a, a very good corner for them, especially with where he went in the draft. I wanted to say he went in the fourth round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I kind of view Marcus Banks as having kind of a similar skill set. And then I think Kool-Aid McKinstry does have a lot of those traits, and I think he's still figuring things out from a defensive perspective and just learning the nuances of – of playing the position at a high level on the college level and being able to understand exactly what's asked for, uh, from him on a consistent basis, you know, in Alabama's defense. And so once he, that starts to click, I think he's going to be a monster. Um, but yeah, it's just, I understand the concern, uh, Mikey, because right now there's nothing about Alabama secondary that really feels truly threatening. If you're an opposing quarterback, there's nobody that's off limits, you know, wherever your matchups are, you know, sometimes if, if you got a, an elite receiver, if you're going against a certain secondary, you're saying, okay, we need to move this guy around and get him some different mismatches because we don't want him going against X player uh, because that, that guy's, you know, a, an absolute terror. And I think Patrick Sertain uh, was, was very much one of those kind of players where you wanted to try to avoid him as much as possible. Alabama just doesn't have that guy. You know, you can play your guys however it is that you want to play him. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't really matter who you're targeting. They can have some success. All right, we'll move on to the next question. Um, so Kiffin, this is a two-parter. The two people asked about Bryce, so we're about to go on we'll list both and then kind of react. So Kiffin2029, which is a hilarious uh, Twitter handle. Really yeah, on, on Twitter asked or said, is there a question? No, it was more of a comment. He said, Bryce Young has been good, don't get me wrong, but he is not playing as advertised. All of his issues are not limited to this game even. All season, he has been throwing balls into the dirt, holds onto the ball too long, scared to run, even to scramble outside, 
Major Blake Barnett vibes. And then Scott E on Twitter asked, what effect does Bryce Young's NIL deals have on this team? That's a lot to unpack there, Jimmy. I hope you're ready. <laughs> well, it'd be impossible for us to really know about the effect of Bryce's NIL deals. I, I'll tell you this. I mean, I do talk to people who talk to people. Uh, I, I have not been told by anyone inside the program that that has been a problem uh, to, to what I am told uh, is that Bryce is extremely well liked, uh, that he is respected by his teammates, that uh, that he is for a young player, a leader on the team. Uh, I have not heard of any locker room issues involving Bryce at all. And Nick Saban is the perfect coach to handle NIL. Like he told the team. Uh, when they had their first meetings this summer uh, about that this was going to happen. And Nick said, some of you will make a lot more money than others. And uh, welcome to the NFL, because in the NFL, the quarterback's making a lot more money than everybody else in that league, too. Uh, you know, the difference is in college, Bryce is making a lot of money, and some guys on our team are making zero, you know. So so that could be an issue. Uh but no, I, I, I don't think, I honestly, my honest belief is that I don't think Bryce's NIL deals have anything to do with what's going on in the locker room or on the field. Now, as to the uh, Kiffin fan that uh, <laughs> wants Kiffin to be our coach and, and, and is willing to wait till 2029 for that to happen, uh, I, I just couldn't disagree more. We can just agree to disagree. I think Bryce is, I think if we went around, there's 130 starting quarterbacks in college football and we could rank them from one to 130. And uh, in the most non-biased way possible, and I don't think either one of us, Clint, would have Bryce outside the top ten uh, in college football. Period. Uh, I would even grant you Matt Corral ahead of Bryce. Hey, and that's fine. Matt's in year four. He's in year two point five of starting games. Uh, and 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 okay, I'll grant Corral's a better quarterback than Bryce today. Might not be by next year, um, but. There's just very few quarterbacks in college football that are better than Bryce, and he's only started six games. Uh, is it perfect? Uh, no, it's far from perfect. I think Bryce will be the first one to tell you he's probably is the, the biggest critic he has in reality, other than Kiffin 2029, is, is Bryce himself. <laughs> uh, and, you know, a lot of people get upset about him running. And, uh, you know, what I say about that is, I mean, I get a little, a little upset about it. Now, one, I, first, I would want to start with the idea that. Bryce has passed up some runs that he should not have. And I'm sure the coaches have expressed that in the film review. And I think Bryce, in retrospect, certainly a couple in the Florida game, uh, although I think he's running it a little more now than he was in those first few games. But for everyone out there that screens about it and is critical about it, uh, I want to write down your Twitter names because when Bryce unnecessarily gets hurt and lost for the season, and we have to play the rest of the year with Paul Tyson and Jalen Milrow at quarterback, and we finish nine and three at best. Uh, we're we're going to run down those Twitter names of everyone that wanted Bryce to run the ball. I mean, Bryce doesn't run the ball because we're trying to win the season. We're not gonna we're not gonna win a play and then sacrifice the rest of the year. I assure everybody, Bryce would have run the ball more. We would even have designed quarterback runs if we felt our number two quarterback could win a national championship. But we don't feel that way right now because Paul and Jalen don't have any experience. And what we're trying to do is keep Bryce healthy, even if it means 
gosh, he probably should have run on that play. They lost to – this is how the staff feels. I'll give you some scoop if anybody wants it, although this isn't – you know, the staff feels like had Tua not been hurt in 2019 and we had Tua in Auburn, that we win that game and we may win the national championship in 2019. But we lost Tua because he ran the ball and got hit unnecessarily. So that's what they're trying to avoid. Hey, if it's necessary for Bryce to run, then run. But we are not going to lose Bryce on an unnecessary hit and flush a national championship down the toilet. So that's so I feel pretty strongly about that. Major Blake Barnett vibes. I mean, what, just, what are we doing? That's, what, that's what, not. Yeah, not I mean, reality. come on now. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's just. I mean, that's so harsh. That's so unnecessary. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Kiffin. I mean. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not. yeah. You might lose. You might might lose tw- uh, tweeting privileges until twenty twenty nine. If hey, you, you, keep hey, up you with know it. who didn't? You know who didn't think Blake Barnett was that great of a quarterback? Lane Kiffin. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. I mean, here's the thing. This is what you have to. People will look and they say, "Well, Tua stepped on the field as a true freshman. And he was incredible." Some guys just develop differently. But I guarantee you. I guarantee you. If, if Mac Jones would have been asked to play in mop-up duty during his true freshman season, he would not looked, he would not have looked as good as he did when he became the starter when Tua got hurt in 2019. Sure. If he would have been became the starter as a sophomore or in his second season, he would not have been as good or as effective as we saw when he got on the field. That's one thing about Alabama. You know, you, normally with with defensive linemen and linebackers and, and a lot of positions, Alabama is in a position where they can develop those guys behind the scenes, even though they're extremely talented. You'll have the, the, the true freshmen, you know, the Minka Fitzpatrick's of the world, the Tuatunga Valoas, who they get on campus and they're just kind of, you know, they're already ready to contribute right now. You know, they're, they're already great players. But there are so many that have been a part of this quote-unquote process that Nick Saban has built that have gotten on campus. They were extremely talented in high school and they just weren't ready. And they were developed behind the scenes. Uh, Ruben Foster being one of them, you know, he was a guy that great special teams player early in his career. He sat, he waited, he played, you know, certain snaps in certain situations, but it wasn't until later on in his career that he got on the field full time. And by the time that happened, the development had happened and you got to see what the more so finished product looked like. And he looked like a superstar. And then you got Christian Harris, who even in year three still has some major issues. So I'm not, you know, making excuses for the guy, but you know, he, he very different situation than, you know, Reuben Foster. He was put on the field before he was ready as a true freshman, and people wonder why there was a difference between him and Reuben Foster. It's because because by the time you saw Reuben on the field, he was a very different player. He was much uh, a lot closer to being that finished product. Uh, you know, Bryce Young. He's missing deep balls. Okay, so he's a guy who's about to be starting his seventh career game who's still got some issues. He's still working some things out. It, it needs to be focusing on what the guy does right and what he's giving Alabama's offense instead of trying to compare him against a guy who developed very differently into a tongue of Aloha, That happens. And a guy who was in, you know in his third and fourth year in the system by the time he got on the field and he looked fantastic when he was out there. I mean, he had seen you know, plenty uh, of, of football. I mean, he was going against that Alabama defense for like three years before he was given an opportunity. You know, I mean, you, you can't ask for anything better as far as preparing you to be the starting quarterback. So stop comparing Bryce Young to Mac Jones. It, it's not two very different things. Um, and there's going to be some drop-off there because you don't have that 
seniority and you don't have that consistency necessarily yet, but for what he's been asked to do at, at such a young age, he has performed at an extremely high level and he has been fantastic. He has not been the problem with Alabama's offense. Has he had issues and, and, you know, overthrown passes and stuff and, and nosedived a couple passes and maybe run when he should have or whatever. Yes. But he's, I mean, what you see, what do you, what, what do we see against Texas A&M that we didn't see against Florida or Mercer or, uh, you know, Miami, we saw a, a, a Bryce Young being more willing to run the football. He's moving in the right direction. That's a, that's progress. Keep moving in the right direction. Keep getting a feel for it. I don't think the game necessarily has slowed down for Bryce Young yet. I think he's doing everything that he's doing with still trying to figure things out. And once the game starts to slow down and you let that natural talent take over completely, he's going to be incredible. So guys, just, I'm just asking, give the man some time He's going to be a phenomenal player for Alabama, and I don't think that he deserves even a fraction of the criticism that he's been getting uh, over the last, you know, especially the last couple of weeks. He, he didn't. He didn't lose that game Saturday at A and M. We 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 only had a small handful of players that played good enough to win that game, but Bryce is one of them. But Bryce played good enough to beat Texas A and M. It, it, it was the other guys around him that didn't. Yep, I completely agree. And. You know, last question here, and we'll try to run through it as quickly as possible. But Heath on Twitter asked, you know, speaking of Reuben Foster, uh, I got some things to say about this. What's wrong with the inside linebackers? This was supposed to be the best duo in the country, and they've been awful. Wow, that is uh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, really good. Let's uh, let's see if we can't get a uh, Golding on a conference call here. Let's see if he'll take the call. Um, I'm 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 dialing the digits now. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, well, first of all, I agree with in the preseason, I'm guilty of saying that Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa would be the best inside linebacker duo in college football. I really believe they would be based on previous performance and on what I would call anticipated progression, meaning that I thought Christian would be even better than he's been and that Henry would be even better surrounded by all the great players he would have in Tuscaloosa. And frankly, neither of those things have happened. Um, I will say this. I don't, I honestly don't think they're quite as bad as, you know, everybody's not being like the the, the Kiffin 2029 guy about the Bryce question. I'm not, I, I do think the complaints about or criticisms of Christian and Henry have been fair. Uh, uh, and, and it's a good question. As a matter of fact, how about this? I, I know, I, I do know about this scoop. I do know that at least one NFL scout has noticed that Christian isn't playing well. I heard I heard from a friend of a friend that an NFL scout who was very high on Christian coming into the season is like, what in the world is wrong with number eight? So the NFL sees it too, or at least one guy. That's a fact. So we're not being unfair, uh, maybe too harsh, but we're not being unfair. In terms of why, that is a real good question. I would really only have theories um, – uh, you know, Henry's not very big, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to start there. You know, you know, height and weight wise, we list Henry at exactly the same size we listed Reuben Foster when he was at Alabama. Yep. And Henry, Henry looks like he could fit in Reuben's back pocket. I mean, Henry, and I'm pretty good at the heights and weights as a guy that follows high school football and recruiting for 30 years, like I have. You know, I'm not going to win any awards at the circus, but I'm pretty good at looking out on the field and going, "Hey, that guy's." 5'11", 195. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And I look at him. Henry blows my whole perception of that. I look at Henry and I'm like, 5'11", 208. 
<laughs> That's what I see. And apparently he's legitimately six foot and 228 pounds, but it, it just doesn't look, look at that way. So, but regardless of that, Henry is small. Christian to me is almost a bigger mystery because I thought with Henry taking over the line calls and the mental part and getting everybody lined up, that's all. In, it's one of Henry's strengths. And I think Henry does that well. I think so. But uh, Christian, uh, I thought would be freed up just to be the playmaker. And all that was off his plate and he could just run around and make plays. But I don't know. Uh, he, he has been very disappointing. I, I'm, if, if we benched Christian Harris, I, I wouldn't be disappointed, frankly. And I bet it's being discussed. I bet it's being discussed. So I, they're not playing well. I don't know why. I guess the only thing I would say to, to, to wrap up my I don't know answer is this. Uh, a lot of Major League Baseball players are fantastic hitters. They get paid a lot of money. They try as hard as they can. And, and, they're, and they're 0 for 32 during a stretch of the season. And you go, why? Why? How is this guy that's paid $16 million a year and he's an all-star and an MVP candidate and he's 0 for 32? Why? I guess my answer is it's hard. It's hard to play at this level. It's difficult and you get in a slump and sometimes it's hard to get out of it. So I know that's a crappy answer, but it's the best answer I got. I, I think I think Henry and Christian are in a little bit of a slump. I'll also say quickly, Henry's been hurt. And that elbow injury he had against Miami was more significant than people know. I think you'll find out at the end of the season that uh, Henry's elbow uh, is, is part of the explanation for him not playing well. Well, I think it's a combination of factors uh, as to why they they haven't been living up to the preseason hype because I was one of those people too. I mean, you, you know, I just – I thought that they had – two potential first-round picks at inside linebacker. Plus, you had Jalen Moody. You had Shane Lee's experience. You had Deontay Lawson, who I think is going to be a fantastic linebacker down the road, who, you know, was a part of the depth and and everything. So I, I really thought that off-ball linebacker was such a, a position of strength. And I still think to some degree that it is as far as their depth and stuff, but they're not getting the production there that they, they should. And, you know, yesterday, um, somebody on Twitter – you know, shared something about Reuben Foster. I dove down that rabbit hole and man, uh, you know, by far and away the most naturally talented linebacker during the Nick Saban era. I mean, his just ability, not only to, when he saw it, he went and got it and he did it with, you know, a fury, you know, there was, and, and he was willing to sacrifice his own body, you know, just zero regard for his own health and well being. You know, if he had to lay out to try to, you know, uh, foot tackle somebody, totally willing to do that regardless of if he, you know, he landed on his shoulder wrong and it hurt him, you know, or, or something like that, just relentless player. And and it's very tough to watch what Alabama is putting out there right now with off ball linebacker and comparing that to, to Ruben, the Ruben Fosters of the world, or even the Rashawn Evans or, you know, very different styles of guys, but Rolanda McLean's and, and, and Dante Hightowers and CJ Mosley. Um, but you know, there's a part of me that thinks that some of this is coaching. And I know that sounds weird, uh, now, granted, maybe it doesn't to the to the Pete Golding haters out there, but I don't think it's just Pete Golding that's doing this. I think Nick Saban is on board with it for whatever reason. It's like when when they see it, they don't necessarily they're not as a, aggressive and attacking. And I think there's such an emphasis on maintaining gap responsibility and doing your job and 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 playing your lane that the the natural instincts for maybe a Henry Toto or a Christian Harris. They're not as willing to, you know, just let their natural instincts as a linebacker take over. 
see ball, go get ball. You know, they're so worried about maintaining gap responsibility. Um, and, and because like, like I said, I mean, there was a, a great example that was shared yesterday on Twitter by, the, uh, Jake Crane, part of the J boy show or the, the host of the J boy show where, you know, Henry Toho Toho, there's a gap that opens up. Ruben Foster would have been flying into that gap, making a play. Henry Toho Toho slow plays it ends up, uh, you know, uh, running back ends up making a play, hitting a different hole ends up, you know, getting a big gain out of it. And the point being is that, is that just Henry Toho Toho being very timid in the way that he's playing it? Or is that something that he's being told to do? You know, it's a situation like Bryce running the football. How much of it is coaching? You know, the coaches say, Nick Saban has said, no, we don't tell Bryce not to run the football. There's something that's keeping him from taking any sort of chances. He's very timid and very reluctant to run unless it's absolutely there. And he knows that he can get down and play it safe. Once he does, it kind of feels the same way with the linebackers and the way that they're playing things. And I don't know, what the mentality is there, but you look at Reuben Foster and the way that he played the position just a few years ago for Alabama's defense, and you look at what we've seen, and it's not just this year. You know, Dylan Moses, Mac Wilson, uh, you know, other guys seem to have been playing with this same sort of kind of timidness a little bit. Um, and, you know, that yes, it's like you pointed out a couple of episodes ago, that the timing of it's strange because it's about the time that Pete Golding became the defensive coordinator where this stuff started happening. And so I don't know if this is something that he's implemented. So when you name five linebackers that, that Pete has coached, you know, you know, starting with Max disappointing final season and, and Pete had never coached inside linebackers before he got to Alabama. That's a new to him. And people might go, Oh my gosh, how and why in the world would Nick Saban hire a guy to coach a position he's ever coached before. Well, Jeremy Pruitt had never coached inside linebackers before. He did a good job. Kirby Smart had never coached inside linebackers before. He did a good job. Pete was following the Pruitt and Kirby thing. Lifetime defensive back coaches who had experience calling coverages that moved to the inside linebacker position and became the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Golding's resume looks a lot like Pruitt's and Kirby's up until that point. And let's be honest, the – the results haven't been the same. Uh, a 13-year-old kid called into the uh, Fine Bomb show yesterday afternoon and asked Paul why Pete hasn't been fired. If you want to know how Pete's week is going, it's a hey, um, yeah, that's rough. That's that's real rough. Um, all right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Bam on Three Show. We we got a lot of these questions out the way. We we dove into them. We you know expanded on them as much as we possibly could. Um, there's a couple of more that are still lingering and there's one that I think we can end up spending quite a bit of time on and that's more defensive scheming and stuff. And that's why I decided not to go with that one. And we'll get to that later and we'll kind of dive into the, the why's behind why I'm doing certain things that they're doing. Cause I'm really going to go dive in and try to figure it out. And, and granted I'm not in the coaches meetings. I don't know, um, definitively, but you know, you can start to try to piece some things together and try to figure out what's going on. So we're going to be doing that. Uh, this has been a ton of fun, Jimmy. I appreciate you taking, you know, more time, you know, for the second day in a row to hop on here and and knock out a 45-minute, 50-minute podcast. Um, and we'll sure. have to do it again soon. We'll be previewing the Mississippi State game. We're moving past uh, Texas A&M now. It's Mississippi State week. And so uh, we'll be doing that, you know, here in a couple of days, and we look forward to it. And once again, this is the Bam on 3 show. I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Been sitting here with Jimmy Stein, and we appreciate you guys tuning in.